Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Hi, everybody. I am Debbie. I'm an alcoholic. And before I do all my thank yous and things like that, we, before we get officially into the program, I just want to recognize how fun that was about the state countdown and the birthday countdown and the fact that I often think about the longest sober member at the time was our co-founder Bill Wilson. He died with a little over 36 years of sobriety. And when we do these countdowns, I always watch how many people went beyond 36 and could they have ever imagined almost 87 years ago come Mary Emma's birthday on June 10th is AA's 87th birthday. Could they have ever imagined 49 in 50 years and, and so forth coming up? And so we have two special birthdays tonight we want to recognize. It's always fun when you get to have your birthday at an event like this and so this is all I have to say, and that is, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Allison and Candy. Absolutely insist on enjoying life, don't we? We are not a glum lot. Well, what what a night and what a great conference this has been. This is my pleasure to be back here for a second time. I was here in 2016, and like many of us, scheduled for 2020, then 21, and here we are in 22. And so I'm so happy to be here. Um, I want to also recognize, my God, the, the, the heavy hitters that have already just done home runs every talk they've made. Every talk. Diana kicking off with the desperation of step one and the sanity restored to sanity on two. Marion, for the beautiful relationship of, of the God in all of us that we see and is there. Mari, for the inventory and the power of, you know, the, getting rid of that self. We don't know how to do that sort of thing on our own, but that inventory process and then laying it out to somebody, you know, a lot of times, you know, she was looking for the reaction from the Jesuit priest, right? And, and I know my, my former sponsor, Millie, who passed away, she used to fall asleep during a fifth step, you know? So they're, they're never that exciting. They're just kind of, oh, yes, honey. You know, one of those. And then I love six and seven with Amy, the secret door. Six and seven, I absolutely love those two steps. 
and the beautiful eight and nine and the amends and that was a great so many examples that you gave. Thank you. And Corinne or Corey, excuse me. I think I'm still trying to catch up with your talk. So that was a, a an hour and a half talk in about 25 minutes. I think it was just like you got to pay attention. And I loved your story. Thank you so much for your enthusiasm of Al-Anon. And I can always tell the really enthusiastic Al-Anons is how they introduce themselves. I'm a member of the worldwide fel- I'm an enthusiastic or something worldwide member of Al-Anon. Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. I love that. You can always tell. That's somebody who's in the middle, not holding up wallpaper. And so I thank you for that. And tomorrow, I mean... Two amazing women are going to follow me in tomorrow morning, who I've known a long time. You know, Mildred comes to us from Canada, of course, and is just a rock star on 11, 10 and 11. And June, so I got sober when I was young. And I, first of all, I've never met anybody old enough to be an alcoholic, okay? No one's ever said, yes, I finally qualify age-wise. No one's ever said that. But most of us think, when you're too young, you're just too young to be an alcoholic. And even when I got sober back in that day, everybody said, oh, no, no, they're June G. June G. And I won't tell her story or how, she got, how young she was when she got here. But June G held the light up for all of us. You cannot be too young. So I thank you. And of course... What would Girl Stock be without Miss Amanda? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for your spirit. You are the heart. I got a question for you. If you were ever arrested, now, okay, let's clarify what that would look like. I know many of you have been arrested for inappropriate things, okay? If you were ever arrested for being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's the question. That's the question about are you a member or are you an attender? I'm not here to judge it. I'm not. It's just like our membership. I'm not here to determine if you're a member or not. That's a self-made decision. And and I have had various levels of AAism, I'll call it. I've been member, I've been down to attender, and I've been down to visitor. There are three very different connections to Alcoholics Anonymous. So with that question, I just want to give you oh, please, no, I am no expert authority or final say-so on whose membership is. We don't do that. We read it beautifully. They took the membership rules, all the rules out. Our founders couldn't have even been a member of AA had them all been in. And we know this group, nobody in this group could have been there if it, with the fallen women and tramps and asylums and prisons and, you know, we, we, nobody qualified. So they took all that out and they made it very simple. If you have a desire to stop drinking. But let me just give you my own experience and where I'm coming from on my personal observations of myself. Because I don't want to ever imply to you that I'm like Miss Member Perfect by any means. 
My sobriety date is February 8, 1976, which I means I've been with you for 46 years. For most of that, I have been what I would say as an active member. But as I said, I've had some sluggish periods. When I was introduced to you, I definitely was a visitor. I was introduced to you through a treatment program when I was 17. My first drink was at 12. My my last focused drinking was at 17. I was committed to a hospital. This was not voluntary. Uh, This was a commitment. I am introduced to you. Like has been said before, I found all the differences. They encouraged the similarities. I was sent later to a halfway house in Minneapolis. That's how I got there. And I was to not drink. Makes sense. People are trying to put their lives together. Um, to, and I know it meant those other things, and do one Alcoholics Anonymous meeting a month. I thought, well, I can fit that in my schedule. So I went to that one AA meeting a month, got that piece of paper signed, and this was truly the visitor time. And I might not even been up to visitor. But there was a, that period of time in my life when I, if I, today I would have been sitting in the back of the room on my phone the whole time. I might as well have been sitting in the parking lot for all that I was getting out of the meeting. So I did this visiting. And I would hear you share your story, and I begin to identify with a little bit. You know, mostly it was rationalized up here, and I'm not here to tell my pre-AA story. So I'm, you know, rationalizing up here why my case is different. But in my own small way, I'm beginning to identify with what you're talking about as alcoholics. Seven months go by. I went to visit my mother in um, California, San Jose, California at the time. And I used to say I had a relapse or a slip, whatever you want to call it. I don't even think, I don't even know what to call it. Recently, I've been thinking about that. I wasn't in AA to have a relapse. I visited you. I didn't know what I should call this thing, but I drank again, okay? I was there a week hanging out with the people I used to drink with last week and a half drunk and loaded with them. No surprise, because I had done nothing to protect my physical sobriety, develop a relationship with a higher power, none of that stuff. Because I'm not staying. And I always knew I would drink again. I'm not in for this. I know you say day at a time. But there's like this imaginary wink that goes with it. And I know you mean forever. And I'm not into forever on this. I know I'm just going to get under the radar so I can go back drinking again. Five weeks go by, and I have this attitude. I've learned my lesson, and I bump my meetings up from one a month to one a week. Again, it sounds like a lot of meetings. And and I get a letter in the mail that has one joint, and uh, I decide to keep it because I thought, you know, you just, you just never know when you might need something like this, right? <laughs> now, keep in mind, I, I hate pot. It, it's, it's so slow. That's why I never was a wine drinker. It's so daggone slow. And, and, and pot back in that day was junk. I mean, it was crap. Seeds and stems and sticks and junk in there. It, everything you wore in, in a three-foot radius had burn marks on it, right? It's just like crap. But we thought it was so cool. And it took forever to go from point A to point B to get it, get a buzz going. And, and you'd snack your way through, you know. And... And so, but I'm thinking, you know, because I'm kind of the, give me that fresh bottle of whiskey, uncap it, chop that, you don't need that anymore. And you add some acid and some speed, and baby, you're going to get there in color and quick, you know. So sign me up, right? That's, 
That's my kind of fun. But it was there. It was there. And this was on a Friday. I thought, just in case I might need it someday. And by God, I needed it the next day, it turned out. Just um, timing was fabulous. Perfect. Yeah, right. And I did not know that that day I would have my psychic change. Hadn't planned on, hadn't asked for it, had zero intention of doing anything different once I smoked that one joint. Now, I call it my driest martini, so it fits into the only AA kind of thing, okay? But I had no idea that that night would change the direction of my life. I didn't ask for prayer, didn't beg God, did nothing. It just had the shift. It was removed. Being loaded was now repulsive to me. It was like a, from a hot, you know, we, we move away from a hot stove. And all of a sudden I'm kind of magnetically drawn to these AA people. And I don't know what they're going to tell me to do, but the next day I went to them and I, I went early to the meeting because I was a kind of, where you walk in when you, when it starts to leave, when it's over, you got her done, check it off. That's how I visited you for those first nine months. And, that particular next day, which would be February 8th, I went early. And just like we did here tonight, and I'm sure in your home group, when you you know, I was going 20 minutes early, I felt like I was going the day before. You know, I was like, dude, who goes 20 minutes early? Well, in my home group, 20 minutes early is late, right? Because it's an active group. It's not simply a meeting. It's an active group. And I went and I heard the music of AA, which is what I heard earlier tonight. I felt the heartbeat. I felt the life. And when you walk in, when it starts, you don't see or sense that. And you don't feel or sense that when you bail out as soon as you get the amen going. You don't experience that. I'm seeing alcoholics now as its finest, and I don't even know it. So I saunter over to the old-timers, and I ask them, so, um, like, what do you do to stay sober? Now, I don't ask questions, but they notice something different about me actually asking a question. And they laid out for me the simple kit of spiritual tools at my feet. Now, they didn't hand me a tray. They say, here they are. One by one, you're going to have to pick them up when you're ready. So what I'm about to share with you has been what I've picked up over the years. They didn't, I didn't pick them up all at once and bundle them up. Life happens. I'm 18 years old. My first 10 years of sobriety were, were like kind of what, what you do when you're 18 to 28. You know, you're single, you're wild, you're sort of free. God, I'm so grateful I didn't kill Mary Emma, you know, as their sponsor. You know, geez. It was really the blind leading the blind, she said this morning. And I wasn't that experienced in sponsoring, but she gave me that experience. Uh, I figure these days if booze doesn't kill him, I can't as a sponsor kill him, you know. So I'll entertain him for a while if nothing else, right? So this wraps into what I see is my definition in membership. So they said to me, basically, one day at a time, we don't take that first drink. And I knew that meant all that other stuff. And we don't take that first drink. And we just sobriety date. And I've established that sobriety. But I've had those. I've had those. I've had sobriety dates. They didn't stick because they didn't do the remaining things that they shared with me. 
And what were those? They said that we are, we go to a lot of meetings and we get a home group. I have lived in four different parts of the United States. Therefore, I've had four different home groups to date. That's the only reason I've changed home groups. It doesn't mean that I haven't wanted to. Um, you know, because there's always somebody in your home group, you just know they'd be happier somewhere else, right? You just, you just know this stuff. You don't ever tell them, but it's your secret. Uh, and so I, this is the only reason, and I realized when I moved to Northern California, I've also had four different last names. But that is a side story, and it's not what you think, okay? So I... I've got these home groups, and every one of them I'm very grateful for because they each taught me that membership in Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't look exactly the same way in every place you go, and yet the spiritual principles are the same. The window shades are the same. The book we read out of is the same. How they might conduct their format may be different. But what that does is just shakes out the cobwebs because if I only stay with what I know, I don't grow. I don't change. I don't, I don't bloom out there. So that's even why I like going to different meetings even today while I have an established home group because that way I don't get into, I love routine. Routine feels very comfortable. But routine without spirit can be a rut. And I dare not fall into that rut. The same old time, the same old thing. I sit in the same old seat. The same old, same old, same old, while comforting can also start to make the make it look a little grayer. And I need to keep it fresh for me. And so they said home group, the sponsor. I've blessed, been blessed with four sponsors. I my when my last third sponsor died, the very same day I called Marilyn to make an appointment to talk with her about sponsorship the next day. So for over two years, I've been with my current sponsor, Marilyn S. from Los Angeles. Um, They said that we take the steps. And I say that specifically with that verb because that's the verb chapter 5 uses. And it has a different meaning to me because it's like incorporation. I take vitamins. I take the steps. There's an incorporation for me to make those changes. They say that the traditions, those aren't just for the group. You're a member of a group. You need to know how those apply at a group level. And, oh, by the way, why don't you see how you can apply them in your personal life? Never knew about that. I have I had selfish and self-centered. Those were the tools I brought to you. They don't really last very long and effectively in most relationships because they kind of like to get in on it, you know, right, on them, something about them. And when it's all about me, it's not very fulfilling. Be of service. Service, they were very clear, was the stuff you do outside of the meeting level. Not, you know, either having a commitment at your home group was not an option. It was, you, know, you just, even if you have to make something up, you have a commitment. Because I had to go from being a taker to a giver. And the minute I don't have a commitment in my home group, for whatever reason I think is good, I have moved into taker again. And I've gone from being a member and an activist in my group now to simply an attender. They said, and carry the message. So that's kind of what my experience has been and the tools and the guides that have led me up to this. So we read, we can all read in our 
chapter in our third tradition, the wisdom they had, the, the inclusivity that was important, that we have the two examples they gave, quote, the one that was a victim of another addiction even worse stigmatized than alcoholism. But the question was, does he have a drinking problem? Is there alcohol? We can have 500 other addictions, dilemmas, problems. Is there any of them a problem with booze? We can help you with that. Interestingly enough, a lot of times when we're focused on recovery from alcoholism, a lot of those things tend to fade away, sort of are connected, and they get dropped by the wayside. And then again, maybe not. Maybe you finally get some clarity from your sobriety and recovery that that might need some professional guidance. But oftentimes, the focus, and let us always remember as inclusive as we are, Alcoholics Anonymous is the only place for the alcoholic. Okay? Let's not try to be so, let's make all of you an alcoholic. Just say you're an alcoholic. Because this is why there are hundreds of other anonymous programs. Trying to make the drug addict an alcoholic who never had a problem with booze. I realize that sometimes some of our members come in and they're so darn fuzzy and foggy that they realize, yeah, I did have a problem. That absolutely happens. But if it doesn't, don't try to keep convincing them. Let them go where they will find identification, which is our greatest gift. It's our greatest gift here is identification. There is no other place for me to go as an alcoholic for recovery. So let's keep that in mind while we steer others to the another anonymous programs. Okay? Um, and then we had Ed the Atheist. He didn't... the point on that was he didn't need to conform to any certain belief. And, of course, we know that was Jimmy Burwell who gave us the God as you understand him. So what is the third tradition? So the short form, I always say there's three, that's four. There are, there are three um, versions of all the traditions. Three? Yeah, three. April 1946 came the original, which in most cases is what we now know as the long form. But there are word changes between the original and the long. And then we have what we now know to be our short form, which is commonly read in all of our meetings. Now, I've been in a meeting one time where there was, I think it won by one vote whether or not to read the traditions, and the reason it almost didn't win out was because, well, we want to talk more. Mm. Really, that really matters by not including the traditions that somebody else gets to talk more. Okay. Well, that wasn't my group, I can assure you that. And if they had voted that, it never would have been. That's a principle I won't cross. And so the long form 
I, I kind of wish we used the long form more, okay, because it's a little bit more clear. Our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. That's like drinking alcoholism, not secondhand alcoholism, okay? Hence, we may refuse none who wish to recover, nor ought AA membership ever depend upon money or conformity. And we've talked many times we know that when we arrive here, we don't have a lot of, we're not too flush. We're not, we don't maybe have much cash. We maybe don't have a job or place to live, things like that. We've heard some of our speakers identify that. But after a period of time, when you do get a job and you do get some cash in your pocket, it's time to start participating in that way as well. It's Nobody's checking, and you're not going to have an account. Yep, you paid a dollar, you paid five. Nobody's going to be doing that. But on the other hand, it's a... It's a private sense of responsibility. I've contributed. I'm a part of. I'm helping pay for the coffee, for the rent, etc. It goes on to say any two or three alcoholics gather together for sobriety may call themselves an AA group. Now, the last line that we read was actually added from the original form, and that is, provided that as a group, they have no other affiliation. So you're not affiliated with um, this college alumni and an alcoholic, your church and an alcoholic, your soccer team and an alcoholic, that it's limited to that. And so this is where we have our inclusivity. We cannot measure sincerity. I, I don't think anybody would get here. I wouldn't have been here based on sincerity. Willingness is pretty iffy. We can't measure um, honesty. In fact, there's a little myth. Let me clear up here. Many people misrepeat that the, word, the third tradition used to have honest desire to stop drinking. Clue. Never did. The original did not. The long form did not. Our forward to first edition says honest desire, and the AA preamble originally stated that, which is owned by the grapevine. But in 58, they made a conference decision to remove that word honest out of the preamble. So it's never been in the third tradition. And we clearly know why. Who defines honesty, right? So that's just a little trivia on that. There's also some checklist questions, and you may not be familiar with those, and some people like the checklist, some don't. Some of them, I think, are kind of goofy. Um, when I used to do a traditions workshop, I'd only put in the ones I liked, and then I decided, well, maybe I should let them know all of them, and they can decide which are goofy and which aren't. So two of them on this particular tradition, one of them says, one, in my mind... Do I prejudge some new AA members as losers? Do I set myself up as a judge of whether a newcomer is sincere or phony? I mean, I know I've done that. I might not have said it. I might not have said it, but I'm sure I've thought, oh, there they are again. 
Number 18, is it, Joey? You know? And not, not that I've said that. I'm just all think, See, I've learned to have a little bit of a poker face here. I think a lot of stuff that never escapes. I don't even like the fact that I think it, but I do. But here is something that our co-founder, Bill Wilson, wrote in an article called Who Was a Member of Alcoholics Anonymous in August 1946. We don't even have traditions officially adopted yet. He writes, quote, Every older AA shudders when he remembers the names of persons he once condemned people he confidently predicted would never sober up, persons he was sure ought to be thrown out of AA for the good of the movement. Now that some of these very persons have been sober for years and may be numbered among his best friends, the old-timer thinks to himself, what if everybody had judged these people as I once did? What if AA had slammed the door in their faces where would they be now? I mean, again, we can't measure sincerity or honesty or desire to stop drinking. We have no qualifications. When, when we get a new member, we, we don't say to them, okay, how long have you been drinking? And they give us a time and we're like, oh, gosh. You're about a, you're about a month shy of the required minimum, Right? They'll die in that next month. I mean, if we got them when they're wanting to do something, by golly, let's grab them. And what do we do when they get here? This is part of our membership responsibility. So we'll talk about that in a second. So let's define membership. What's the difference between a member and an attender? According to the dictionary, membership is to be a part of something. Okay? An attender is to attend something. I'm just showing up. I had a great analogy. We were having dinner last night and a little gal, Melissa, gave a really great analogy. She said it's like the difference between being a homeowner member or renter, a tender. You've got some skin in the game as a homeowner. You're going to keep it updated and fixed and get your taxes and all that kind of stuff and keep it in good shape. As a renter, well, if the taxes don't get paid or if the carpet doesn't, and this doesn't get fixed, that's, you don't have no skin off you. Well, the same can be in my membership. You know, I can, my home group, I'm, I care about what happens there. I'm a member of that group, and that's more than, you know, my friend Bob D says, my home group knows it's my home group because of my actions. Just like we hear my sponsor knows they're my sponsor, I'm assuming that you probably call that person pretty regularly or something. Well, does your home group know it's your home group? Do you treat it like that? So am I, I get there early. Early is not five minutes. Okay, early is 30 or more. Early and membership for me stays late. I'm always one of the last people to leave. I'm a, I'm a, you got to call the last call lights on me to get out of there, okay? I always have a commitment because you made that really clear. No takers. No takers here. Learn how to be a giver. And I have been the time where I have been a, an attender and a visitor to my home group. 
So the word membership starts with the letters M-E, me, and the word attender starts with the letters A-T, at. Am I in it or am I at it? So these are some of the ways that I can kind of think about that. You know, early in my sobriety, I, uh, you know, I got sober in 1976. Like Mari said, you know, you were handed the book. Here you go. Read it. We'll talk about it. You kind of bumble and fumble and tumble your way through. And, and I was very, very active in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was in you know, work during the day, service involvement, got involved with general service, inner group, uh, you know, did my best at sponsoring at that time when I lived in Minneapolis. And, um, you know, I was as as active as I could be. I mean, I was lit up on the inside. Now, you can busy yourself into drinking again, just so you know. You can make the 400 gallons of coffee, pick up 15 newcomers a week and all that, but if you do not take the steps, it will not replace that. You can talk to countless people who did that and shockingly find themselves drunk because they hadn't taken the actions to have that personality change, to have that relationship with the power that's going to come between them and the first drink. It will not replace an inventory, an amends, prayer and meditation time. It will not. Your busyness will not. And so when I moved to Atlanta... I was just two weeks shy of my fourth birthday. Took a, I had a sponsor at a home group, and I took that four-year cake, and all of a sudden I had a click in my head that said, you know something now. You're four years sober. Just, just, just say, if you're four years sober and you think you know something, let me, you don't. You don't. No. Let me just give you a warning sign on that. You don't. But I, um, I took it into my own hands, and I decided... Uh, I'm going to get me some balance. Okay. I've been hearing about this balance. Let me tell you, I quit trying to get rid of balance, uh, get balance in my life decades ago because balance just isn't going to work for somebody like me. And so I was going to get me some of this balance, and I decided that seven meetings a week was a lot of meetings. I'm going to start going to two or three. It quickly became two. And my attendance started to shrink. I went from at four years and, you know, 45, 60 minutes ahead, now it's five minutes before it's six years sober. I'm one of the last people to leave at four years. At six years, it's amen, shake, shake, and you're looking at taillights out the door. I've gone from member to attender to visitor again. I don't realize it because it's been so incremental, but I don't know why I'm so restless, irritable, and discontented. I failed to see my actions have shrunk down, and but I came up with a plan that was gonna that people, places, and things were gonna make me happy. It's called men, money, and mansions are gonna make me happy. Okay, that's right. We're on a mission, and um, I had gotten to that point where you know I was showing. Of course, I could say I'm showing up to my home group. I got I got a commitment. I'm, I think I'm passing the basket during the meeting, so you don't have to get there early or stay late. Hi, Joe. I'd wave across the room. That was my sponsor connection. That was it. Everything had gotten so whittled down. And so for the next few months, I met a little fella. 
and he had all the things I was looking for. Um, I'm sure I'd fall in love with him, but you know, we get the priorities straight, the, the mansions and the money and all that kind of stuff. And after three months of this whirlwind romance, which, you know, I'm the only one involved, um, I hate those kind, you know. And uh, this little fellow, he got off and married somebody else. That's what I thought. And so uh, I just let him go and uh, started looking around. And bingo, up pops another little fella. And we do this dance of delusion for three months. And he goes down the aisle with somebody else. I know. Uh, and at 6.9 years of sobriety, I come crashing in. Now, keep in mind, I've never stopped visiting you. I have never gone a week without a meeting. But mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, I had been long gone. I've been so removed from center. And this crash and burn brought me to that point of that, that fork in the road. We talk about um, going on to the bitter end. And now I'm 6.9 years sober. A lot of the things I think about when I hear our experiences, I'm thinking about in sober living. Not just drunk living. Sober living. That's where I've been in a long time. This is where I've got to be alert, is in my sober life. Go on to the bitter end or accept spiritual help, and I accepted spiritual help. And I took those steps again, and my world changed. Part of when we get to step 12, it doesn't say start over. It says there's, now that you've had a spiritual awakening, hey, go grab somebody else and help them do that. And every time I walk someone through the 12 steps, I am living that in a present state and keeping it fresh. But I have done the steps for me several times. But what are we doing with 12-step work? Are we actively engaged in that? Is your name on the your local office's 12-step call list? If not, why not? I know that ours makes it super easy. You can say dates you're available, times you're available. I take the calls that are uh, in the afternoons during the week because a lot of women are working. I'm retired. so And I'm in meetings at night and committed in the morning, so I have the afternoons. They still come in with wet drunks. Let me tell you, they still happen. You've got to be on the list, though, to know to get the call. So, again, part of my membership is being active in our local central office list. And the last one, I agree, they're not frequent, but the last one came in last, last August. Now, it's, it's a crazy moment. I'm in the middle of a training session. Uh, my mother had been in the hospital. I'm kind of watching the phone. And I've got, I mean, my platter is full. And the call comes in, I'm, it's an unrecognized number. I think it's a hospital or something. I answer it. Hi, Debbie, it's Central Office. we got a 12-step call for you. Now, I assure you, I wish I could say, great. But I'm thinking, crap, isn't there anybody else you can call? I mean, Jesus, I'm the bang, 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 Sure, I'd be happy to take it. What's her, you know, we know what we do. Now, what's her name and number? And I'm writing this down, and I'm just like, doggone it. I'm thinking all this, and all of a sudden, the light bulb goes on. I got her sponsor's on her way, driving up from Southern California. I know who's going on this 12-step call with me. 
she gets there, I said, uh, and so I called her back, and I said, when's the last time you were on a wet 12-step concert? Oh, it's been a long time. I said, well, you are in luck today. <laughs> and off we went with some literature, and we did that standard classic 12-step call. She came out onto the, we, she finally was roused, I think, and finally came out onto the porch, and I said, so when did you have your last drink? This morning, I think it was a little more like just now, but, you know, morning could be foggy into the afternoon. It's okay. And last we knew, she had about 10 or 12 days, and she'd gotten a sponsor, but, you know, she had a fade out. She was moving or something like that. But again, I would not have gotten that opportunity had my name not have been on the list. So make sure your name is on the list. Get into the game. Don't just see it from the side. Be a part of this. What do you do when a wet drunk comes into your rooms? Do you avoid them? Or do you go toward them? You know, let's go toward them. Let's remember what we used to smell like. Let's remember where we came from. Have them come sit with you. Don't overload them with all the jargon. Just offer kindness. Offer maybe introductions to some other members. They don't understand what a big book is or a sponsor is. Just ease into that kind of thing. Let the fog clear. And I want to talk about nonconformity. The third tradition talks about it's not dependent on money or conformity. But I want to share with you an experience that was very, very, again, road-changing for me. So I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous through a treatment center, as I mentioned. And there we were called, all of us were called chemically dependent because the insurance covered everything that way, right? I don't even know what that is, but it's a lot of syllables, right? And so when we leave, we go, I go into Minneapolis, which is very full of treatment centers and things like that. And other people say that about themselves. And other people call themselves something other than alcoholic. And now I'm not the brightest bulb in the room. And I'm not paying attention or trying to be like what they are. So I don't really think anything of it because I'm not the only one that says it. I'm not doing it to be cute or different or dip- or anything. I just don't know any different. And I'm about a year into my sobriety, and I'm doing a conference with an old-timer. This is when you, you walked up. You, there was no pre-registration. You came up to the table. You got you paid your money and uh, checked your box and fill out your form and write up your badge. And so this girl comes up, and I says, are you AA or Al-Anon? And she says, I'm chemically dependent. I checked the AA box. Off she goes. And this old-timer sitting next to me says, quote, what the hell is that? I said, well, that means we're an alcoholic and a drug addict. Now, I never will, I don't ever think of myself as a drug addict. Sure, dabbled in a lot, added it to the drinking, but I don't, I've been to two NA meetings, open NA meetings, and I felt like a fish out of water. I did not connect. I did not feel I was with my people. I am in a meeting anywhere in the world. I'm in an AA meeting. I'm with my people, and I know that. So I, I uh, checked that, and, I, and he says, you, I, he says, here we're just, you know, we're just simply alcoholics. Because that new person coming in here and you say that you're a chemically dependent is going to go, what, what is that? I mean, what is, did, I, 
I, I came in here because I have a problem with alcohol. And, um, maybe this isn't the place either. Now, him saying that to me, I, I'm at that, again, that fork in the road. I have the right to keep saying what I'm saying. But aren't my responsibilities greater than my rights when it comes to common welfare and the thinking about somebody besides me and what I want to say and what I want to do? I represent AA to bury it to the person who doesn't know. Is that a good representation? Defiance? This isn't, defiance can be used when I need to save my life out there in front of, you know, some dangerous position. Not here in the rooms and being a part of and trying to be different. So in an instant I went from ignorant to informed. What was my choice to be? And I knew that I wanted to be the best AA I could. And so I started choking out. I'm an alcoholic. And the more I did that, the deeper my roots went. Because when I give up the fighting of anything or anyone, and I did that gent what I call that gentle conformity, it was amazing how once again the roots went deeper. I uh, I know I have absolutely been that person who has, again, in my mind, made many judgments on people. Can still do it today. Can still do it today, whether how they look or how they sound or what they do. I can still make those judgments. They just don't last. And that's one of my six and sevens. But I remember I was 12 years sober. I was sitting in my old home group. And this woman, who had been a regular member, was now asked to do, she'd come back for somebody's birthday celebration, was asked to do 10 minutes. So she gets up and she's telling her story, and there were two 10-minute speakers and then a main speaker, so she's telling her story. And she says she came with her husband who really needed help. Now, keep in mind, they're mirrors of each other, right? They have the same sobriety date. They're both alcoholics, bad alcoholics. But she was coming in here to help him, right, support him. And she's listening to the two speakers. Now, at that time, there were five sections in that room. There was, like, four quads in the main room, and then there was what we called inventory point or section five. It was for the people who didn't want to catch alcoholism, you know. That's where they sat. And that's where they were sitting. Now, I'm not there. Obviously, she's just relaying this story. So she says... Um, she was uh, listening to the first speaker, and it was this woman, and she was all nicely coiffed, and her makeup's in the right spot, and she spoke nicely, and she's sitting back there thinking, man, I'll never be like that. And the second person speaker gets up, and it's a guy with long hair and tattered up jeans, and, you know, every fifth word's the F-bomb, and, and she's like, Wow. I really identify with that guy. And she goes on to tell her story. But I'm sitting in the audience listening to her share this, and my mind has stopped. And I realize how judgy, judgmental I was. Because, see, I gave approval of the first speaker. 
being a good representation of AA bathed in all this. And I'm judging the second speaker like, come on, we're not in a bar room anymore. Hey, but I don't know if you know we're not in the 70s anymore. Maybe cut your hair and put some, de- you know, that. I'm not saying that. I'm thinking all this, right? Come on, let's give it the program. Because when I was 12, 13, 14, I was in a serious self-righteous period in my sobriety. And what I realized is that God used that man to reach all the way to Section 5 and draw her in. He wouldn't have drawn me in, but he didn't need to. God used him to draw that woman into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I realize I don't know what your defects are that are going to be useful to somebody else or what my perception of them are. But was he any better or less or different of a member than I am, than the woman who spoke first, right? So again, what are, you, what are we doing in our home groups? Are, are we active there, or do we just kind of show up, let other people have commitments? That's, that's not what I can do. I have to be a full-time member, an invested member. I pay attention. I'm at the business meetings. I'm active in that group. Oftentimes we say, oh, he or she is a good member of AA. Or maybe we'll say the opposite or not say it, think it. They're not a very good member. Who defines good or bad? Right? It's going to be based on what I think is good or bad, just like anything in life. Good or bad? Is it based on the number of meetings they go to? I don't know how many meetings they go to. They might go to four times as many meetings as I do, or many less. Is their life fulfilled and in what they're doing? Are they lit up? Are they lit up with what they do? What about is it based on who your sponsor is? You know, we've had many people, uh, you know, we, we, I'm guessing most people in this room have a sponsor. Sometimes I've seen people say their sponsor's name as a backup, don't question me, shield. So is it based on how many people I sponsor? I have gals that just seem to struggle in getting sponsees and others that just are like magnets. Does that, the ones that don't seem to attract sponsees, are they any better or less of a member? They are active in service in other ways. But again, it's not, membership isn't dependent on that. And so ju- me judging that, well, they don't sponsor anybody or they sponsor 500, that doesn't mean they have time for 500. You know, is it just a numbers game? Again, I'm not making any determinations or judgments, I'm throwing out questions for consideration. Because these are some of the things that I run through my mind. How about your service work? Are you What are you doing in service? If you are bored in Alcoholics Anonymous, you come see me. You come see me. We will get you from being bored. But most people are, aren't willing to do anything. That's why they're bored. The CPI or CPC or bridging the gap is not going to come to you on your couch. It's just not going to happen. So I need to go seek and and make myself available. Practice the art of saying yes 
every time someone asks you to be in service. If you're available, it's not willing, but available, say yes. You don't have to be qualified to do the job. We'll teach you. But it will take you to the next level and light up your sobriety. That it will. Um, how many meetings you're speaking at? Maybe you talk at conferences or you're, you're getting a little popularity going on. Does that make me a better member than someone else? A, you know, if I'm speaking this many times and somebody's more times, does that make them a bigger member? I have seen too many speakers believe their own press clippings. And got themselves in an awful lot of trouble. I'll tell you my favorite story about that. I won't even, I, of course I would never say the name. But we had a, there was a, a convention going on in Southern California at one time, and one of the guys was on the committee. And he said, hey, he's coming in town, and, you know, we kind of get him for free, so to speak, because we don't have to pay airfare. He's coming in early, and it'd be great to have him speak, and he's very charismatic and popular, whatever. And so the secretary says, oh, okay, that sounds good. And so, uh, yeah, this is a fun story. Okay, so he, we have a timer. We have a time limit, and... With the 10-minute speakers, they get flashed their little cards, when to say stop, and so does the main speaker, because it's easy to enjoy the sound of your own voice, right? And go. And this speaker was known to go on and on. So, breaks over, speaker gets up to the podium, and starts to kind of sway a little bit. And he says, introduces himself, hi, so-and-so. He says, you know, I speak all over the world. Okay, don't think that group was impressed with that, let me tell you. Most people in that group, many people in that did. Okay, so, I speak all over the world. And I have never been told when I'm supposed to quit talking. Now, we thought that was funny. We laughed and everything. We thought he was joking. And he said... So you know what? That's about all I've got to say tonight. And he sat down. The, the leader customarily would sit behind this curtain. My mind froze. But I was so pleased. He comes out behind the curtain and he says to the founder, he says, participation. And he goes, so he starts calling up people. We're going to have a meeting. So he starts calling up people, and they come up. Now, there's the elephant in the room, right? There's, nobody has seen this happen before. We're all kind of, so they, one by one, has the participation. And then the last guy he calls on, I'm like, oh, no, Jesus, really? I mean, if you looked up a picture of a serial killer, that'd be his picture in there. You know, jeez, oh, man. Oh, God. But, you know, I'm, I'm just like, I'm not, you don't know I'm thinking that. He gets up there, and he, I mean, God had a joke on me. 
because he gets up there, he says, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic, hi, so-and-so. He says, you know, I, I've never seen anybody sit down so quickly to tell their story, and we all kind of have this awkward laugh. And he says, but then I looked around this room, and I thought, everybody in this room has a story. Yes, they do. Everybody in this room has a story. Everybody. So, I, I just absolutely love that reminder that there isn't anyone beyond human, beyond sober as our highest level here. But let me just mention one other thing here about, you know, there was a young man, I was just thinking about him the other day too, his name was Ryan, and Ryan would die from an overdose. He just kept, one more time, one more time, it was like a roulette wheel. But Ryan, when he was sober, was awesome. Three times. He would show up unannounced on our door, and he'd have some new girl in tow, says, she needs to talk to you. Okay, okay, come on in. And we'd go talk, and he'd go on the patio and smoke for an hour or whatever. And then to, but he was helping this girl get connected to sobriety. I mean, I'd never see the girl again, but, I mean, three times he did that. He could not get continuous recovery. What kind of a member was that? When he was on, he was on. Just couldn't stay on. There's a poem. I know we've got some Akron people here. And uh, out of Dayton, Ohio, I saw this poem. And it really, really touched me. I've, I've changed a few of the words. But it's called, Are You an Attender or a Member? Are you an active member, the kind who would be missed? Or are you just content that your name is on the list? Do you get to meetings early and mingle with the flock? Or do you get there late to criticize and mock? Do you take an active part to help the work at hand? Or do you let the others do the work? Is that your current stand? Do you work on committees? To this there is no trick. Or leave the work to just a few and talk about that click? Please come to meetings often and help them with hand and heart. Don't be just an attender, but take an active part. Think the silver. You know what you can do. If we said, calling all members, would we be calling you? So as I mentioned in the beginning, the word membership starts with M-E. Let it begin with me. And let me come back to my opening question. If you were arrested for being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I hope that every one of you can say yes and for two lifetimes worth. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.